1 Samuel chapter 17. This morning, uh, we're going to look at, honestly, I'm just going to kind of let you in on what God has been speaking to me about. Uh, you just get to participate in it. We, uh, Jason and Mickey and I have been going through a book, Parenting Essentials, on Wednesday afternoon, a book called um, Why Christian Kids Rebel. And if the one thing that I have seen and learned as we've walked through this book is that more often than not, the reason Christian kids rebel is because of the parents, the Christian parents on the, uh, the backside. And uh, particularly if a week and a half ago we were walking through uh, chapter 7, and it was called Comfortable Christianity. And it made such an impact on my life. I mean, I, I'm telling you, we didn't even get to the story of David. And that's actually what we're going to look at uh, this morning. We didn't even get to the story of David. But, but this chapter in particular made such a huge impact on my life personally as a parent. And so um, just try to share it with you. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David just burst onto the scene here. And we're just going to read a few verses in just a second because we're going to cover from chapter 17, 1 Samuel, uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 24. So we're not going to be able to read a whole lot. So we'll read in just a moment. But David here, if you're familiar with the story, David is a, a shepherd boy. And he would tend his father's sheep, Jesse. But his dad would also periodically send him to check on his brothers who were in the army on the battlefield and so on this one particular day he he would find himself as he approaches this battlefield he hears this voice and he hears this man by the name of Goliath who is cursing the people of God but not only the people of God cursing God and so David is just perplexed by this he looks around he sees the people of God standing there paralyzed by fear David wants to know, why is no one doing anything about this? And his brothers would even tell him, you go back home and tend to your sheep. David would ignore the comment and quickly he would find himself standing before King Saul. Saul, unwilling to uh, approach Goliath as well as the other people. No one's willing to take on this challenge. And so David finds himself, this small kid, standing before Saul saying, I can do this. I've, I fought a lion with my hands and a club. I, you know, I, I fought a bear the same way. This is not a problem. I can do it. And so he would actually give in. Saul would give in to this and tell him, that's, that's fine. Try on my armor. And he would put the armor on, but it's too big and bulky. David's like, I, I don't need those things. I can do this. Just let me go. When David would approach Goliath, Goliath was actually offended by this. I mean, it made him mad, the fact that these people would send a kid to do man's work. And he would say, do you think of me as being like a, like a dog, like I'm a pet or something? You'd send this kid, and he tells this kid, I'm going to cut you to pieces and feed your flesh to the birds. I want you to hear David's response, starting with verse... 45. It's not humanly possible for this kid to beat Goliath. I want you to understand that. So you start 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. David replied to the Philistine, You came to me with sword, spear, and javelin, 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will, feed, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. I'm actually just going to stop right there. He, David would run to meet him. So what I want you to see here, because this is so critical and important in just a moment as we move forward in the life of David, I want you to see the passion, the faith, and the trust this kid has in God. David would approach this giant with nothing more than a sling and five rocks, five smooth stones. He is a common man. He's a shepherd. No one knows him at this point. Nothing special about him whatsoever. Yet he is willing to stand and fight a giant as well as the Philistine armies because he knows God is with me. David, as it says here, would run, run towards this giant. Stone in the sling, twirling it, he lets it fly. It would hit this giant in the only possible place that he's not covered, that it would do any damage whatsoever. He hits the giant, the giant would collapse, he would pick up the sword, stab him, kill him, and then cut off his head and take the sword back to Saul. If you can just imagine what that might have looked like when he takes that giant's head back to this king. Now here's what I want you to see from this. Because of his willingness to follow God, because of the choices and the decisions that David would make from here and in the years to come, because of his choices and decisions to follow God, there are difficulties that come along with it. Always difficulties. Saul would quickly become jealous. After all, the people are in the streets singing songs like Saul's killed his thousands and David's killed his ten thousands. So immediately he wants him dead. And so the chase begins. And for the next several chapters, you find a young boy running for his life from this man by the name of Saul. And at times, he would be much like an animal living in caves trying to escape the wrath of this king. And yet the amazing thing about that, and even reading through it this week just blew my mind. When you study the next chapters, particularly from chapter 17 to chapter 30, you find a young man who is sold out for God. I mean, after all, someone's trying to kill him, and he is solely dependent on God. Here's what I want us to see from this. When David was poor, running from Saul, solely depended on God. Young kid willing to fight the armies, the, the Philistine, a, a young man that would attack a bear and a lion with his hands. That's what you find. When times were tough, his relationship with God was good. But then because of choices and decisions that he would make for God, came difficulties and yet he continues to thrive in his walk with God 
Something that we need to understand, church, is that if we truly decide to walk with God, you've got to understand that with this comes difficulties. Yet the Bible, James would say, because of your, you know, with, when your faith is tested, your faith grows. It gets better as a result. And that's very much what happens. Discomfort is a part of the Christian faith. When you genuinely decide to follow Christ, you say, uh, God, I'm yours, heart, mind, body, and soul. God promises there's difficulties. Jesus made it really, really clear when he told his disciples, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many will take this path. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And he even said... It is difficult. He tells us, you follow me? There's going to be difficulties that come as a result. Unfortunately, I'm afraid oftentimes in our culture today, we've been taught that you can go into this relationship with God and it's like you can have some clauses in the contract in a sense. It's almost like you can approach God and say, here's my path that I'm taking. Here's what I'm doing Really, I'm just looking for a get-out-of-hell-free card. Here's where I'm going. If you want to join me, have at it. And yet when you study the Scriptures, you see something much different. You would find Jesus approaching men, uh, these fishermen say, follow me, and they'd drop their nets. And he would approach a, a doctor and a, an accountant and say, follow me, and they would drop what they were doing, and they would follow Christ. It was all about God. When, when you make the choice, much like David did to follow Christ, there's difficulties that come along with it. And I have told college students for years now, if you never see any difficulties in your life, if you never see any inconvenience, if, if you never see any discomfort in your life because of your faith and because of choices and decisions that you're making, you might want to question, who am I following? Because Jesus says there will be problems that come as a result. It's just the way that it works. And unfortunately, in the American church today, in our culture, we've been brought up with this false idea that you run from inconvenience. You, you run from discomfort. You run from difficulties. And yet... When I study the Bible, I find actually the exact opposite. As believers, we should be running towards those things. Actually running toward discomfort and stress and inconvenience and difficulties and suffering. Those who are sick and hurting and persecuted and are lost. You do realize that throughout the centuries, it has been the Christians that started the churches. Christians that started the hospitals, the nursing homes, the Red Cross, the orphanages, the food banks, the, you know, down the road here, your Union Gospel Mission. It's Christians that started these places for those people that were hurting. Throughout history, while the rest of mankind and the world moves away from inconvenience, what made us peculiar in the Scriptures is that Christians were moving towards it. And yet we don't see that too often today. And I believe a lot of the reason is, kind of revolves around the story of David here. We're really similar to David in a lot of ways. I want you to uh, 
to see this. If, if you moved over, we're not going to read it for the sake of time, but in 1 Samuel chapter 3, 31, around verse 6, something happens. Saul would die. As a result, obviously the pressure is taken off of David. Things begin to change for him. Now, Saul's men are still in power for the next seven years, but seven years later, David would become king. And here's where it all goes downhill. If you've ever studied the story of David, David would bring in his own men. He would have them come in, put them in places of power and positions and different things and something else he would he would bring back the ark of the covenant to jerusalem he would bring back the blood sacrifices on the altar he would bring those back to israel and you may be thinking now how in the world is this bad what, what are you talking about dr kimmel in the book uh, why christian kids rebel says things became civilized for david real quickly he got civilized. Suddenly he loses this adventurous, risk-taking mindset. He gets civilized. He traded his sandals for a chariot. He traded a cave that he once slept in for a really nice house. He traded his passion in God for his own glory. He is now enjoying the comforts of being a king. Think of, think of all the things that go along with that. I mean, convenience, safety, security, easy, comfortable living. And it wasn't long after that that he would begin to add more and more wives would start coming into the mix. And one thing I found fascinating is that he would stop leading his men into battle, which is something no respectable king would do. That's why Saul would die. Was, he was in battle with his men. He, David would stop doing that. He'd send a guy by the name of Joab to do it for him. Why? Fear. He's got something to lose now. I mean, suddenly this, this guy's got a, a house and, and the clothes and the chariots and the fine foods and the servants. Why in the world would I dare risk losing those things? And this once great man of God that would dare to stand before an army with a slingshot and five smooth stones, a man who would fight lions and bears, he has lost his passion. He's lost his zeal. As John would say in Revelation, he lost his first love. That's what's happened. And it all boiled down to comfort, security, convenience, and safety. When you have those things, it's really hard to rely on God. It happens all the time. David had tasted the finer things of life, and he had come to the conclusion, it is good, and I like it. And with this came something else, idleness. Free time. Let me tell you something, ladies, in case you're not aware of this, men don't need a lot of free time. We need to be busy. Our minds need to be working because when they're not, when they have too much time off, they go in a lot of crazy positions and ways and things they should never think of. Men need to be busy. Suddenly, David here, he's got a lot of time. 
so much time one day, he's nothing to do. He's standing there on the balcony watching a woman take a bath. A woman whose husband was in war where David should have been. But he's not. Got free time. Next thing you know, he would have an affair with this woman. And unbeknowingly, she would become pregnant. And then he would use his power to have her husband killed on the front lines in war where, again, David should have been. But here's what I don't want you to miss because this is the part that God really spoke to me about. His children are watching. His children would imitate and do everything he did. And that's scary. Everything. Amon would rape his half-sister Tamar. Absalom would respond to that by killing Amon. Absalom would end up dying in, in battle. Solomon would try everything his dad tried. Uh, compounded a hundred times. And he would always come back and say, it is meaningless. It's stuff. It's like chasing the wind. There's no satisfaction. And always came back to the same thing. Like father, like son. Kids imitating what they saw lived out. Don't forget what I said a few moments ago, okay? Keep something in mind. He has brought back the Ark of the Covenant. He has brought back the, the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices for sins. He's going through the motions. And yet, unfortunately... His actions would speak louder than words. His children were not fools. And they could see through this meaningless, mindless religion that he is part of. And it is so sad to me because I'm afraid that a lot of us are a product of this. Now, I'm not saying that our parents killed someone or having multiple affairs. I'm talking about the religion side of it. Much, much like David, we've, we've witnessed and we've seen the same thing, this comfortable, easy Christianity. And as a result, our, those that we're watching, the actions speak louder than words. And so we've, we've bought into this type of Christianity. And as a result, we bring our kids up in the exact same manner, thinking it's normal. Thinking that really Christianity is about you pray before you eat, you don't drink, curse, or smoke, give a little money, and then if you show up on Sunday morning, God is in heaven saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done so well this week. And as we have said so many times, it's so sad, we, we start down this same trail that we have seen modeled for us where we chase after the same things, we want the same stuff, we do the same things as the world. We just go to church. <laughs> we have tasted comfort, security, convenience, and we have said, like David, it is good. Man, I like it. I like this life. And so we produce children that watch. That's what they see. We, we produce children that have been taught in a sense that 
If you don't get in trouble when you're in school and you're respectful and you graduate from college and you get a good job where you make a lot of money, then you can live in a safety, a safe place. You can have a wife or husband, kids, and go to church. And even from the outside looking in over the last years, I've watched this, and it's almost like the, the older parents, when they watch their kids, if their kids just show up to church now with their wife and their kids, they're a good Christian. If they miss a week, well, there might be some problems. If they show up to church, they're a good Christian. Just, just come to church. I had, uh, several years ago, I had a, a lady that called my wife. And uh, she said that they were having some problems with their son. His girlfriend broke up with him. And so as a result, he was uh, gotten into some things, depressed, a lot of stuff going on. So I started talking to this guy. And honestly, Anna, as my witness, after about three or four months, I'd about had enough of him. Um, I'm telling him all these things to do. He doesn't listen. Finally, one day I told him, you're wasting my time. You do anything I say. But it was like a light switch went off about six, seven months into it. it. It was like Clark Kent walking into a telephone booth and coming out as Superman. Just radical things happened in this guy's life that only God can do. When summer rolled around, he would go to this place in the world that was very hostile towards Christians for about six weeks. He graduated. He ended up going back to this place for a year, and then he signed up for another year trying to, trying to start Bible studies in his apartment there in this part of the world. And One day I'm walking through Walmart, and uh, this young man's mom approached me. She told me, and by the way, her mindset has changed since then, but here's what she said. In a very funny trying to be funny, yet serious tone. She said, if I had known when I referred him to come and talk to you a few years ago that he would be in a hostile area in the world where they hate Christians and trying to start a Bible study, I would have never recommended him come. Now, you got to understand two things about that. Number one, I wish I had people say that to me every week. That thrilled me to death if I had people coming up and telling me that because obviously something's happening if, if it was. But let me tell you what this girl, was, this lady was really saying. We set this path for our son. The only thing there really was left to graduate school, get a good job, make some money, live in a safe place, have some kids, get a wife, have some kids, show up to church. That's what we wanted. You messed it up. It wasn't me, it was God, but this, this is what she was thinking in her mind. And we wonder why kids rebel. Because in all reality, what, they never see anything authentic. They never see anything that really changes a person's life, this passion, this zeal for Christ. God, do with me whatever you want. And as a result, the kids see this and it's like, it's not a big deal. They question their faith, maybe. I, I, there's nothing different between them and the world. They go to church. But I have also witnessed now through the years other students that come to me and say, I read the scriptures and there's got to be more to it than what I've been shown. 
He demands so much. There's got to be more to it than what I've seen. Yet unfortunately, the, the model that has been presented for, for them is much like David and much like the rich man. If you remember in the Bible, and he would approach Jesus and say, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, all right, go sell off all your possessions. The things you idolize is what he's referring to. Give your money to the poor, come follow me. And we, like David, like the rich man, we turn and we walk away sad because we have so much. We are a product of our environment, of the way we've been programmed to think. I have had the wonderful privilege, and that's what I refer to it as the privilege. I have been in an underground church in China. I have worshipped with a handful of students in an alley in northwest Africa with, among Muslims. I've had the opportunity to see it, and I'm telling you, it's a lot different. It looks so different. And I think the amazing part about it is, is just getting to watch and hear the stories of supernatural things God does over there. Things that we can explain away by human effort. They don't have anything. And God works in amazing, miraculous ways. Several years ago, I, I wanted nothing more than to get out of Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, the United States I just wanted out I, I even went as far one time again my poor wife has to deal with me on these things and I put in for a church as a pastor of an international church in Budapest I just wanted out now now when I look back on those things now you know why trying to dodge difficulties because I'm telling you it is much more difficult to reach people with the gospel right here than it is in other places. It is difficult, real difficult here of people that have always heard of Jesus, they've got twisted views of Jesus. It's so hard. One other thing in 2 Samuel chapter 24, around verse 24 that would take place, David would do one more thing Make a poor choice, poor decision. David would decide he's going to do a census. He's going to count the number of soldiers in his army. You didn't do that. Matter of fact, back in chapter 17, he, he made it clear. I'm going to, David said, I'm going to do something here, and only God's going to be able to receive credit for it. And that's the way the children of Israel viewed it. They would do things in a manner. It didn't matter if there was a thousand, three hundred, one kid with a sling. If God was with them, if they're following God, he's going to take care of it. So numbers didn't matter. Yet David decided he wants to see just how mighty, how big his army really is. He would wind up with over a million, despite the fact that his advisor said, you don't want to do this. Yet he would do it. As a result, God would give him a couple options. He would punish the people of God because of their king, because of a poor choice that he had made. 
And, and he said, you can have three years of a famine, three months of running from your enemy, or three days of a plague. And he's thinking, man, three days, that's what I'm going to take. And so he would choose that. 70,000 people would die as a result. And on that third day, for the first time in a long time, he truly is convicted of what he's done. And he cries out to God and he, he goes out, the Bible says, he goes out to purchase a piece of land to build an altar and offer a sacrifice to God. The man who owned the property said, no, 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 I'll give it to you. I'll let you have it. And here's the way that David would respond. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God a burnt offering that costs me nothing. I'm not going to offer myself to God and it not cost me anything. And again, I go back to the New Testament and I, I think of Jesus. I hear his words as those, some of those onlookers would come and say, we want to follow you. And Jesus would say, you'd better count the cost before you follow me. You better think long and hard about this. If you really get behind me, I will lead you places you would never humanly want to go. I will take you through difficult places. I mean, after all, Jesus would say, if they hate me, they're sure going to hate you. And I wonder, for me, I'm not talking, for me, has there ever been a time you just really stop and think, have I counted the cost, real, really counted the cost, and said, I am yours 100%, do with, do with me as you please. Last Sunday night, I talked about something similar to this among the college students. And afterwards, I had a young man come up, grab me by the arm, wanted to go down to my office with me. He said, what does this look like? I mean, if what you're saying is true, this is a lot different than what I've been taught. What does this look like? And I said, there's three steps. It's pretty uh, simple, yet really difficult. Two of them are clear. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You love your neighbor. And Paul talks about and you deny self. It's no longer about me. Crucify self. It's about loving God, loving my neighbor. Now, we don't want to be legalistic here like we have been prone to do in the past. We suddenly you come up with a checklist and here's what it looks like. We're all individuals. We're all different. It's, it's about being sensitive to the Word of God. What does God want me to do in this area? But I am convinced that as a church, I mean, if we genuinely did this, love God, love your neighbor, deny self, there's no telling where and what we might be doing in a year. And I also believe with all of my heart, there's, there's no telling just how that might impact the kids that are watching. Kids that are watching parents and adults that have surrendered it all. I'm yours, God. Do with me as you please.